week for our Say What Needs Saying Spotlight, we're bringing on Mr. Man, a person that has joined our Discord server, has been a longtime listener of the podcast, and who wants to say what needs saying about wokeness and equity and cancel culture and aspects like it in academia and how they have gotten worse over time and you know what what impacts they've had on the academic system and the educational system and the everything associated with it this conversation can go a million different ways i know that i have my own feelings about academia too that i've talked about in a couple different episodes but you know it's an important topic it's something that we're excited to talk about uh we've got brandon is here with us as well and yeah mr man i'll just turn it over to you let you give a brief intro of, you know who you are what you want to talk about and where we want to start yeah, thanks, uh, Zach and Brandon, for having me on. Uh, I've been a follower of Say What Needs Saying for a while now, and uh, just wanted to come on and talk a little bit about some of the alarming trends that we're seeing in society and um, how their roots are in academia and the universities in particular. So a brief background about myself. So I'm, I've been involved in scientific research for about uh, 10, 11 years now. I've been in the academic system. Um, and uh, across many different universities and places and i've noticed this trend uh, accelerating over years um and the trend uh, for those who don't know and a lot of people who are lay people don't aren't part of the academic system won't know that this is going on until they hear about it in the news or other from people who are university students or otherwise is so the alarming trend really started take taking off in 2014 um and uh, in a synopsis of this is social justice really started taking uh the precedence over truth over curiosity over science um and uh the way that uh this happened is academic institutions became uh illiberal places from being liberal places to illiberal and now what i'm what do i mean by liberal not in the sense that center left politics but in the sense liberal being uh freedom to express yourself freedom to be open to new ideas challenging your ideas uh be part of what it entails being an intellectual um and this is the trend that uh, i've seen quite a bit and i'm sure um zach you have seen this as well and brandon maybe as well um and I just want to uh, highlight some statistics, if that's okay. So these are stats that I've pulled out from last year, and there's a ton of these stats. If you, if any of the listeners Google this, they'll be able to uh, find. Uh, and this goes at one of the core values of American society and Western society, which is free speech. And uh, here's some of the stats. So this is from a nonpartisan um, uh, uh, foundation called FIRE. A foundation for Individual Rights in Education surveyed about 20,000 oh, yes. students across 55 universities. Um, and this was collected uh, last year from April to May. And uh, some of the stats here. So 45, 42% of students say, said their college does not empower free speech. Okay, Very large proportion of students. 12% felt comfortable expressing an unpopular opinion on the social media account. And uh, those who are at universities like myself as well, Zach, uh, know this, that um, you have to be very careful when saying things online. Uh, Zach, you're a little more brave than, uh, than I am. You share a lot on, on social media, trying to garner people's discussion and seeing what they say. Uh, but only 12%, that is very low. So about one in 10 people. And then uh, further stats, a breakdown of this uh, by uh, political affiliation. So 72% of conservative students found themselves self-censoring, whereas 55% of liberal students found themselves self-censoring. So what do I mean by self-censoring? It is that fear of saying what needs to be said. Okay, yeah. so the, the point of this podcast, uh, in the fear of how others will respond. So again, a huge proportion of people who just can't speak or don't speak their mind or are not exercising their First Amendment rights, um, which is core to American values. And I think that really highlights what is going on. And we can go into um, sort of the causes of this, which I, I really want to dive into. Uh, but if you guys have any comments, happy to hear that. Yeah, no. So I, I want to jump in really quick and just offer some context around those stats. You know, so I am one of the 12%, right? I'm more okay with sharing some stuff on Facebook and and spreading my 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 views to like 
like uh, Mr. Mann said, to encourage some discussion around it. But um, the, the reaction I get, right, is to get called a racist or to get called a sexist or to get called a bigot or to get called sometimes when I'm not even espousing my own personal view, right? And I bring this example up a couple times because it's, it, it really is striking to me. And it's the one that stands out most to me is was the Kyle Rittenhouse episode we did. I was criticized for simply offering the, for, the, the forum, offering the platform to have this conversation on by people that I had talked to previously and had great conversations with, but I didn't even espouse my own view. I didn't even say, yeah, I think Kyle Rittenhouse defended himself and this is why, yada, yada, yada. It was just, I'm offering this platform to talk about it so that we can see the different points of view and that was it. And that's enough to you know get called all those things. And in today's day and age, it's being called a racist is one of the worst things you can get called because it's gonna ruin your career. It's gonna ruin your career prospects. It's going to ruin all kinds of things. And so, yeah, I just wanted to echo kind of what you were talking about. Um, and yeah, it, it's definitely a problem. I, I'd like to get into specifically where this started um, and why, you know, why you picked 2014 as, as your starting point and what kind of stuff was happening around then. But uh, Brandon, you know, do you want to jump in? Do you have anything to, to say too? Uh, yeah, I was kind of wondering, because uh, uh, you led with saying you are of the 12% who does not mind speaking their mind um, on uh, any topic you throw at them. Uh, I I wonder since we're, the focus is cancel culture in academia, are were those statistics based off of people saying things in the academic setting, or because they're in an academic environment for like four years, they're under that spotlight, they don't feel safe saying that, because then that would mean it would it would be outside of academia that they still hold these these reservations. Yeah. And so the thing is that uh, these are individuals in academia, in colleges, in universities. Uh, the reason why this is a problem is that this is metastasizing in other spaces of life. It's metastasizing into so the sciences. It's metastasizing into how when these individuals graduate and then run our public uh, education system, they run our uh, banks, they run our government, they run different systems, they take these ideologies with them and try to impose that to the rest of society. So it's plaguing the rest of society. So that's why it's, con it's concerning and the root of this is definitely in academia. On that note, I think that a good place to start, and I don't know if this is where you were going with 2014 or not, um, and if not, you know, feel free to jump in with whatever you thought is, is kind of the inciting incident or, or incidents that, that kind of led to the start of this um, in your mind. But I think the, a good example of what you're talking about is, is uh, free speech zones on campuses, where it was this idea of we are going to enshrine these locations in free speech and allow anything to be said here, but not anywhere else because, and I think the reasoning was that it's going to distract from classes or it's going to, you know, in, impede education on some level, right? But I think that started, at least in part, started this trend of, well, you're not allowed to say what you want to say or say what needs saying. And that then led to a lot of people were of the belief that, oh, well, they're just in college, right? And then they're going to get out into the real world. The real world will kick their ass a little bit and they'll kind of shape up and, and realize that, no, you can't do this stuff. You can't, you know, the, the real world is not college. But then, like you said, these people join these other institutions and then they become part of the real world and then also part of academia and then hire in more people of shared belief systems and things like that. And now the real world is, you know, it started with maybe free speech zones, but now you've got things like trigger warnings and things on non-academic places of discourse, you know, and not on the, 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 the campus. So, yeah, I don't know. I'll turn it over to you. I'll see what you think. Um, if there were some other elements to the early on uh, wokeness and equity, cancer culture, all this stuff in academia, you know, what your thoughts are. But yeah, I think that's a very good place to start. Um, there's actually two trends simultaneously that are very interrelated and they go hand in hand. So one is what you mentioned is the safe spaces, trigger warnings, kind of things that are meant to protect a certain group or a certain set of groups who are who were considered minority groups. Okay, And so and the other one was this very vocal group that it was uh, engaged in this thing called call out or cancel culture. Okay, So one is meant to protect and then one is to be vocal against authority or some quote unquote oppressive group 
and we can go into what how these things are defined. So, um, and and this was enforced by overt language policing. So, if you say something in a classroom, so it could be any idea. It could be it, it's it doesn't have to be um, hurtful or the intent doesn't need to be there. But if the if the language itself is presented in the classroom that gets considered as something quote unquote violent or uh, or hateful or words that are used traditionally for um for very physical things mm -hmm. and very atrocious things now get imposed on language the people's speech so it becomes a way of shutting things off very quickly and very easily um and this is particularly and uh, problematic. So Jonathan Haidt, who is a NYU pro professor who has done research on this for years now, and I encourage folks to look at lectures by him on YouTube and other places. Has uh, uh, has written a lot about morality and moral psychology and how people think about morality itself. So, uh, according to him, what this creates is an environment where orthodox views get very strongly held by students. Um, but they are very weakly supported because they are never challenged. So you are you go into your echo chamber, you go into your into your free speech zone, you go into your uh, trigger uh, warning zone, and you go into this protected space. Um, and actually, these spaces are not just metaphorical spaces; they are actual spaces. So I know uh, at certain institutions. So one of the institutions that I was in um, had rooms created. The physical rooms uh, that use donor money and also taxpayer money to create rooms that are uh, to go and uh, bent or share uh, be uh, be protected from anything around you things like that. And I know this happened at the University of Michigan too. So University of Michigan tried to host a presidential debate before the pandemic hit. And the presidential debate was going to be between Joe Biden and uh, Donald Trump. Uh, but uh, in response to that, there was massive outrage uh, about this. And uh, in fact, some groups tried to uh, or instilled a, a safe space zone on campus where the election would not be talked about uh, the the debate would not be broadcasted, and this was done by uh, groups that uh, quote unquote uh, uh, promote uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we can talk about these principles as well. That's that's a whole another avenue we can go into. But um, and again, this is like students not just um, become hollow minded or never have their ideas challenged, but uh, they use terms like this is threatening or that this is, uh, or one of the things that Jonathan Haidt talks about is, uh, you are invalidating my existence by saying words like that. And they become intellectually fragile and they go into the world and they, uh, and when they try to uh, look at what's going on with, um, uh, in the job space, when they actually uh, hear words that they have never experienced in their life because they have been coddled for a while. They look at look at the psychology of this of these children. They are like, and I call them children. I apologize. But they are of a consenting age, and they are adults. They are twenty two when they graduate. But look at uh, what has happened throughout their life. They've gone through uh, 17, 18 years of age, um, not uh, being at home, not really being challenged by anything, being uh, under parental care, and then they go on into college and they're protected there as well. Now they go into the real world where they have a job, they're buying groceries, they're opening bank accounts, and they uh, they face a lot of challenges and they aren't able to deal with that. And what's the consequence of that? The consequence of that is what we're seeing in society now, rising amounts of anxiety, rising amounts of depression, rising amounts of um, inability to just deal with anything, being fragile individuals. And that's that's the consequences of what happens then. And then they go into their workspaces and try to make what their university was into their workplace. And that's where it starts to become dangerous because it starts um, uh, demoting or it starts breaking down the fundamentals of uh, of uh, workplace. It starts demoting the fundamentals of society almost. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's that's a summary of that. And we can go further into like, even further, what the, where the roots of this is in like postmodernism and like critical theory and 
how the humanities basically plagued this into the rest of academia and now it's plaguing this into the rest of society. A few things I actually wanted to, uh, I guess, the first thing I would say, um, so the individuals you would say, like, growing up from, you know, I guess, age one to 17, I would assume, based off of the population I can imagine complaining, would be those who may not have been challenged. But I think that would be like kind of like an aggressive assumption uh, based off of, I mean, entire, you know, college populace. And if we're talking about the universities as a whole, I would say, well, I don't know, maybe that demographic, uh, the majority, it may be a small majority, but they may have, I guess, an unchallenged background. But I wouldn't say that assumption of not being challenged would lead them to environments that they may assume would be unsafe or they need to have a safe space. And that brings me to the Trump. I remember hearing about that, where uh, they wanted to have the, dem- the the debate there. You know, I would say, for instance, okay, say, for instance, there was a president that said um, Asians cause coronavirus, right? And there was violence towards Asians. Would a Democrat, would a group could say, hey, I don't want that individual here because the Asian population may be in fear. Would that be incorrect of that assessment to say, since people have done acts of violence towards uh, Asian individuals. You mean like Trump's comments about what, like the Chinese flu and stuff? Yeah. So they say, you know, like, like I mean, granted, we're kind of seeing, you know, the ramifications of that now. Like, would you say that, or if uh, uh, Trump were to say um, he can go on Fourth Avenue or Fifth Avenue or in New York and shoot someone, and nothing would happen? Or if you tell, if you kick black people out of your rallies just because, like, maybe those demographics don't feel as if they're being supported. And they wouldn't want to support someone who embodies that. Because granted, it's not Trump you're one may be in fear of. It's those who may follow his words to a T. So well, could you see could you see that that may be why uh, they create these environments where it might be a bit aggressive in their uh, protection of their feelings? I think, well, I'll jump in really quick. I think what you see with Trump is kind of the extreme of what can possibly happen with language. And that may play into, yeah, some of these these sentiments held by some of the academics and the, the higher ups, right? That that may be what they're trying to pre- prevent. You know, like like Mr. Mann was saying, you know, a lot of this is for protection, and a lot of this is, in theory, meant to help the discourse be more civil by avoiding the nasty parts or avoiding the the disagreements. Um, I wouldn't say that's the outcome, right? I wouldn't say that that's what it actually accomplishes. Um, I don't know. Do you have any? Yeah. And uh, I I just want to say that um, it it is, of course, those are, those could be hurtful ideas or they could be something that you don't prefer. So the way to deal with that is not to uh, shut down those speech. So like one group, as I said, two things happening. One is like the safe space is being created where people can go and like not listen to any of that. And the other group is basically people who go protest or uh, go in mobs and and scream and shout. So there's famous examples of, let's say, Ben Shapiro going to a a college campus and uh, people uh, literally going armed and with uh, uh, and trying to get him out of there from campus because the campus is is considered like a pure space, a a space that is uh, full of sanctity. So that's what these uh, uh, social justice warriors consider the campus space to be. Um, so, uh, and and you also see this with not just conservatives, but also liberals like Bill Maher tries to go to UC Berkeley and there's uh, large protests because some groups of people don't agree with it, what he's said. And instead is using language like that is, um, that is oppressive, hurtful, violent, like saying language as those words. So mm-hmm. language is not like that. If you really want to target language and you want to uh, you want to oppose language or you want to challenge someone's ideas, you go and engage with them. That's the way to challenge ideas. And that's what a university is supposed to do. If you see some ideas, the ideas don't necessarily cause physical damage directly. That's the point that I'm making. But yeah, uh, Brandon's point taken that, okay, let's say Trump says, oh, Wuhan flu, China virus affecting this. And okay, but an Asian person can hear that and ignore it or be become very fragile and, and, and post on Twitter being like, this is hurtful. This is violent towards me. In So what's happening is the latter is that 
people are going on Twitter posting that, oh, this is so affecting me so much. And they're, they're brewing a culture of victimhood. Okay. So this is affecting me. This is so oppressive for my people. Um, and in the process of doing that, they're getting likes, they're getting retweets, they're having other people saying, okay, like agreeing with them. And that creates a cycle of where they get celebrity status almost by victimhood. Okay, well, so that is what is going on. I wouldn't directly say victimhood because there's there's real accounts of battery and people who genuinely say, I punched this person because they were Asian because they, uh, well, one guy said he had a bad day. That's why he shot eight people. But there's many accounts, at least within the media, and they're not like, they're not young people. They're like elderly Asian people who are getting randomly at these accounts of battery uh, just for existing. So granted, I mean, it may be in a, an environment of victimhood, say, for instance, Trump says, you know, coronavirus or Chinese virus or whatever, and these people go in fear. I think fear will be a reasonable response if people are, would you, would you say not? If someone said, I am condemning this demographic of people and you could do whichever you want, and there's accounts of people doing these heinous acts towards this demographic of people, are the, are the people just in fear or they should go up there and have a discussion with those trying to harm them? Yeah, so uh, this is one example, right? So there's lots of other non-harmful examples where people have claimed that we need a safe space or we need to cancel this person. And let me give a, a slightly related but not related example. So this happened last year at the University of uh, Southern California where uh, a professor was saying a, in every language you have these filler terms, okay? So like, uh, for instance, in English, it's like, okay, like this, like that, uh, things like that. Um, so uh, like is one of those terms. And so in Mandarin, it is that, okay? And so that in Mandarin is, if you transliterate that term, it is, it spells out as N-I-E-G-A, okay? Yeah. Now it is literally how it sounds. And you, if you listen closely to uh, people speaking Mandarin, you can hear that. And so one of these professors said that term uh, in Mandarin, and got put on probation by the university for saying that because the student said that was he was being racist. In, in fact, he was not. He was just saying the word, um, and it sounded like the N word. And for that reason, there's no uh, no connection there. And that word itself became violent. And as a result of that, the university professor needed to be. So there's a lot of uh, uh, the Trump case. There could be a case for that. Okay, like maybe we need some sort of protection uh, for people, but uh, for a lot of non-harmful um, cases like this, where language is being super policed to the point that other languages are being are being policed now. Another example, there's a word in the English language that uh, I'm gonna spell it out, I'm not gonna say it, it's N-I-G-G-A-R-D-L-Y, all right? Yeah, right. So uh, th that word, has nothing to do with the N-word. There is a case, actually, people can, I, I can't think of the case, actually, where the uh, professor said that and got fired because of it. So th that is innocuous cases that have nothing to do with actual reality uh, of, uh, of hatred, nothing to do with actual violence, nothing to do with actual uh, things that people are getting canceled for because of this overt language policing. Right. right. Well, and I so wanted... I want to jump in too really quick to touch on that point, because I think that, Brandon, with the point that you were making, you're, you're referencing the language of Trump, for one, but also then the resulting violence, right? The, right. the violence that results from that. So I also want to give a plug. I think that cop gets too much crap. I, I think the cop was just the, the cop in the Atlanta shooting case because he was just more or less reporting that the guy said he was having a bad day. I don't think he was saying that, you know oh, well, this is no big deal. It's just a bad day, whatever. But anyway, I think that with the Trump case, right, I think it's easy to, the, the main problem is the conflation between the initial speech itself and violence. And so I think that the resulting violence from whatever Trump says or whatever anyone says is absolutely condemnable and wrong and awful. And the speech that leads to that may be wrong too, but the speech is the speech and the violence is the violence. And when you conflate the two, when speech now equals violence, let's say that you're a, a, an Asian individual that is uh, walking down the street and someone now enacts violence against you, maybe because of rhetoric that they had heard, maybe not, regardless, 
but they enact violence against you, right? You are now absolutely both legally and, and in my opinion, at least morally allowed to respond with violence to defend yourself, right? You are allowed to respond to de by defending yourself and, and holding your own because that person is enacting violence against you. The problem with conflation of speech and violence, though, is that now suddenly if someone has harmful speech at you, so let's say that Trump walks up and says that, right, says Chinese virus or something, and someone now conflates that with violence. They think that that is the act of violence, not that it may lead to violence and therefore shouldn't be said and, you know, people should watch their language, especially people in positions of power and all of that, which I can agree with, you know, obviously there are certain things that people in positions of power shouldn't say because of the implications and the externalities. But if that act of speech is violence in and of itself, you are now justified, assuming you're right, you're now justified in responding to that speech with violence. And so I think that's the bigger problem, not that, you know, all speech is acceptable and good and great, because it's not, there's lots of bad speech. And Trump is a very good example of instances where speech can go very poorly and, and, have some negative repercussions and impact but at the end of the day that is still just speech that's not violence it's speech that has bad impacts but you know i think when people have louder with crowder is another one where he'll do he did change my minds right it was the the meme of you know something something changed my mind and yeah. that format that's him and so he does this a lot of times he'll talk about these touchy subjects on college campuses a lot of times and the one that comes to mind, especially right now, is transgenderism and pronouns and, and things like that. He's had multiple discussions around that. Mm -hmm. And he'll be sitting down with someone who will explain to him how misgendering someone is in and of itself violence, is in and of itself an act of violence. And so I think the larger problem is that just that conflation, right? That conflation, because we can all agree that the violence you know, taken out in response to language is all condemnable, awful, illegal, and shouldn't happen right and some speech that leads to violence is bad obviously mm -hmm. but yeah i don't know that was just kind of my thoughts on on this whole thing and the, the biggest part of it is that conflation of the two i mean and i, and I would have to agree but i for, and i granted i forgot uh, my point i would I, I completely forgot my point i'm drawing a blank now i'm, I'm my apologies. sorry i rambled for a little while no 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 you're good you're good um well i guess you know in that case we'll we'll you know, jump to something else. Um, Mr. Man, I'll turn it back over to you um, and see, you know, what else we, oh. what else we want to dive into. Oh, did you remember, remember, Brandon? I remember what it was. I was okay. going to say that the reason why, so I, I would have to detest the, I guess the explanation of how that thinking word is The I think the word that in Mandarin is nasher and their thinking word gut is because is to identify a physical thing. So they're saying, or naga, or if you keep saying niga, so it's depending on if they're saying if they're talking about like you have to think about one. anyway, that doesn't matter. I think the reason why um the university put them on probation when he's not fired is because they don't the, the university doesn't want to be associated with such a word. I think that's mainly the universities are trying to stay face. It's not really the perspectives of the professors or not even the perspectives of the students, I think that the, the, the universities themselves, and there should be a hand at, at pointing at them by wanting to try to fit into every group, trying to mold themselves into every category. And that affects, um, I guess, the free speech of those who don't feel like they can say what they're saying. However, a question that I had from the very beginning was, I guess, using this platform, what would you say could be like one or two things, Zach, jump in, um, that you feel as if you couldn't say on campus or what you cannot say in the realm of academia that I guess you can say on this platform. Yeah, sure. Well, I'll let, I mean, Mr. Man, did you want to jump in with one or two things uh, that you feel that about? Or if not, I've got a couple too. I mean, uh, Zach probably has a, a variety of more experiences <laughs> with firsthand experiences, but yeah, I think there's a general uh, opposition to uh, criticizing anything right so we saw this last year and even this year that there's uh, there's this huge uh, influx of ideas related to black lives matter and police uh, uh, brutality and uh, anything like equity racism a huge influx of these ideas and whenever anyone tries to even criticize it not just criticize but say a differing viewpoint 
even though they might be very left-wing, even though they might be of a race, they might be black, they might be Asian, for instance, and they try to say something, they get canceled for it. They get canceled. What does canceled mean, right? So a lot of people don't uh, necessarily know this, but it is basically mob behavior. A mob of people, on mostly on social media, just go on there and and try to post, dox someone, try to post information about an individual, try to uh, post their address, their um, phone number, and say that fire this individual. For a mob that has nothing to do with the person's workplace, the person's, what the person is actually doing at work or at school, and trying to get them fired because they just don't agree with that one aspect and they misinterpreted that without any due process. We live in a Correct. America is built on a system of due process and that due process doesn't apply in, in mob behavior. And it, it is anything that is, that is politically um, not in, in a particular side. So now we're seeing this in, for instance, climate change. Now climate change is, has become a racial equity issue. All right, what does that mean? Why has racial equity being tagged on it? Sounds nice on the face value, right? So, okay, uh, when, if, when the climate destroys a lot of um, uh, land, they go under sea, people who live in um, poor or in black communities will bear the brunt of it, okay? Sounds nice on the, but the main reason why this has been imposed is to use black people, is to use poor people as a form of uh, symbol to push their agenda. This is nothing to do to help black people. This is nothing to do to help uh, poor people. This is just so that when anyone challenges those climate policies, uh, they're automatically cast as racist, okay? Now you can shut them off very easily by just saying that they're racist and their climate change policies do not apply. So that, that's the whole purpose behind this. Now you're seeing broadening of the definition of racism. You're seeing broadest, broadening of the definition of anything. So it, like the, uh, what I talk about is this movement is built on certain pillars. It's built on these pillars of sexism, racism, homophobia, transphobia. And then there's this uh, layer to it. It's called intersectionality. Intersectionality means that there is a, a hierarchy of oppression. So a black woman's uh, experience is completely different than a black man's experience and a black trans woman's experience is even worse. And at the bottom of that uh, uh, oppression hierarchy is, let's say, a disabled black trans woman, put all the oppression categories. And again, this is nothing to do with actual oppression that the people experience. It's some a select few categories, five or six categories that have been imposed to make a person fall into certain group identity. This has nothing really to do well, with actual oppression or actual what they're actually going through with life. Because if you look at experiences of, of uh, things that people go through in life, uh, they vary so much that uh, within group uh, variation is much larger than between group variation. And uh, for those who's trying to understand this, so if you take the life experience from, from one Black trans persons to another Black trans persons, their life experience will be totally more different than uh, what the difference would be between a Black trans person and a white, cis white person, all right? That's the thing. But what these uh, identity politics tries to impose on you is the fact that uh, a, a, the white uh, cis man is on the top of this hierarchy and is uh, oppressing everyone else for their benefit and has been doing this systematically. So systematically, what that means is this is uh, in every aspect of society. It's almost like, it's almost Harry Potterish. okay? Like there's this like dark magic that is imbued in, in the air we breathe or like in everything in society. And we need to uh, the term that they use is we need to combat white supremacy. We need to dismantle white supremacy. So everything, white supremacy is, they think of it like a virus that has plagued everything and that needs to be get rid of. And that's the way that they're promoting their agenda. So when you say promoting their agenda, what exactly do you, and, and so, okay, so you spoke on several points. Uh, I guess the first one I would say is, I understand when you said when they put on markers to show oppression, but I don't think 
well, granted, you probably have the source to say how, how they were wording it, but I don't think they were to say that the the direct embodiment of a cis white male is affecting a black woman, for example. Like, okay, so say for example, um, sixty four was it silver sixty four thousand black women go missing uh, in America each year. That's not a statistic that a black male will have to deal with. That's not a, a statistic that. A cis white woman or a homosexual white woman have to deal with, or a cis white male would have to deal with. There's a active epidemic with black women dying in child labor um, in America. It's astronomical in comparison to any other demographic period. I don't think those things are direct oppressions by cis, the current cis white male, which brings someone to have to say, where would a finger be pointed? And many could say, as if we're staying in the medical uh, realm, that there are instances or, uh, I guess, misnomers about uh, African-American women when it comes to pain that are not being treated or not being uh, respected in some in some instances, which are leading to the level of fatalities that we're seeing in, uh, as, uh, at least within uh, childbirth with, with Black women. Um, I'm trying to remember all the different points uh, that you touched on, but I do, I do understand uh, your, um, what you're saying, though. I, I definitely understand what your perspective. And yeah, I just want to touch on that. Yeah, of course, there is a, a epidemic, as you can say, of black women. Well, this is shown medically that black women have higher uh, maternal uh, mortality. They have uh, worse uh, outcomes at birth. Um, uh, their responsiveness to pain or how it's perceived by the doctor is very different. These are all well-known fact, facts. And uh, so what do not you do well known, to That's understand this? You try to find the root cause, okay? So you try to find the root cause of what's going on. Is it because of certain uh, lifestyle uh, that they have been uh, undergoing? Is it because of certain things in their community that they have been undergoing? No, 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 uh, it's not. Things that they, uh, or other, other related things. But the way that this is casted typically as this is because of systemic racism. This is no, because but, of white supremacy. Have... This is because of, uh, you can look at this in uh, JAMA recently. Uh, JAMA is Journal of American Medical Association, top, top medical association and journal of the United States. I uh, recently had an article retracted because, they, again, mob behavior made this uh, uh, go through it, uh, is that it was talking about this like systemic racism or systemic oppression and how that was causing. And, and that is not really a cause. Like you're not what exactly is it you're, you're talking about? Like, is it because of like someone uh, was overtly racist towards them, microaggressions? Is it because of some kind of external behavior that that caused it? People really can't point out what it is. They talk about inequities. They talk about uh, uh, like systemic oppression towards black women, things like that. But they really can't point out what the root cause is. And it's not serving black women well. It's not serving their medical outcomes well. It would be much better conversation and a much better uh, research to actually figure out what is going on, like what is going on during their nine months of pregnancy that is causing them to have these kind of outcomes. Again, well, these, these kind of uh, conversations about inequity and social justice um, really don't help people who it's trying to help. That's what I'm thinking. Right. And I guess I guess to that point, like I've had this like granting in the OR, I have this these discussions um, with these doctors and they said, you know, they're, the basis of modern medicine came off the backs of black women saying that a lot of the a lot of the advancements in medical technology has come from many black women who originally uh, the founding I forgot, I forgot his name there was a, there was a statue of him in new york um i think it was recently taken down because his assumption initially was that black women don't feel pain and that rhetoric has been passed on even much so that doctors now have said i have to be a bit more cognizant because my colleagues will say i'll be a bit more rough with african-american patients with black patients i don't think and i and the statistics say that the the individuals within their trimesters are similar is when they get into the or to give birth that complications arise there's not much i guess there is difficult to get case study data for things like that but i don't believe that it's the teratogens compared to black communities versus white communities because the birth rate in flint hasn't went down for example or the birth rate in pick any lower uh lower income community in the united states that's not 
you wouldn't see the parallels that we're seeing in regards to uh, black mortality rates of women giving birth. And I granted, I get that it was unnecessary for them to cancel, not cancel, I guess to take away uh, that report. But I think there's some, there's something to say to why exactly this is happening. It can't, if, if it was something outside of the trimester, then outside of the, the process of, of, of carrying a child to term, to, to birth, it would, I would understand, it would, you would see that termination early. You wouldn't necessarily see it at that moment is, is what I'm saying. And granted we can, there's a, oh, but I did want to bring up um, one example. So there, I forgot the name of the school, but there was a professor who said, I'm going to misquote it. Um, she said, um, she said, don't fall asleep in my class. What does it look like? I'm wearing a hoodie and a Skittles or something like something in, in reference to Trayvon Martin. Right. And, and that entire case that happened in Florida. Um, and she the, the student. And this is a black woman, black, black professor, uh, all that it was written up and had the whole email splayed out. I'll, I'll tag it in the discord later. Do you feel as if she should have gotten I think she got fired. Do you, would you feel as if she got fired for saying that comment and would you say that's what are the, the, the issue with the cancel culture that you would say um that is permeating through academia that there's this uh i guess no air because she was saying it lightheartedly so she says you know um but clearly it was triggering somebody is that what you say is that what you would say will be your perspective in regards to the cancel culture of academia like yeah so uh, in terms of firing of someone uh, th this particular case that you mentioned it is not uh, my problem is not about the firing itself but the process by which someone is gotten rid of or being can or cancelled okay so if there was a process of uh, let's say due process and again i don't know this particular case so you'll have to tell me what actually happened but if this was a case where okay the student brought it up to the university and then there was a a, a faculty committee or some sort of due process that is already in the university guidelines and all universities have this an honor code system or some system which if you violate you get the trial and regardless of whether you are a student or a um, faculty that happens and they look at the evidence typically and then they make a judgment okay mm -hmm. so it is based on the due process if that happened in this case i'm 100 percent fine okay but if this was because of a twitter mob she posted some screenshots on twitter and then claimed victimhood gathering support of people not just from the university but outside of the university people who have nothing to do with the university itself and just to show that okay we are these warriors of social justice and we really care about uh what's going on in society so we need to get rid of this professor at this university x uh, and because of that reason they are gotten rid of then that is a problem that is what i'm complaining about so it's not just it's we need a society where due process needs to be implemented not just removal of someone because a mob or someone a group of people who just who have nothing to do with the case think it's wrong and they remove or castigate this person or uh, uh using religious terms excommunicate someone from from uh, certain uh, ranks of their uh, society because of what they've done and and I understand that, but I wouldn't. I I feel like those are two dissimilar things. Uh, per, uh, uh, the due process that universities have, that almost every university has, yes, it's in books. There's a process. Even tenure kind of challenges that to a degree. Um, but I think the university themselves, it is a business. So if your business, quote unquote, is not your their job is to get as many kids into their doors that freshman year as possible. So if the university feels as if this is infringing upon their bottom dollar, they're going to do whatever it takes to make sure they verify that that bottom dollar is even more secured after some type of occurrence that's issued. Like, just like the FCC. Before, I, th I think, uh, was it during the Super Bowl, Janet Jackson showed her boob and she has been canceled from everything ever. She hasn't done a show in America since then, I don't even know how many years ago that was because of that occurrence. The same thing with the universities. The FCC is just trying to, I guess, control or I guess cushion the American viewer because so many complained. If if the university has complaints, is losing their bottom dollar, so they have to do something. It's the, I think your issue is not with those who complain because people complain every damn day. People complain why it's raining while it's sunny outside. People complain that it's sunny outside and it's raining outside. 
I guess your grievances with how the university acts upon them. And I don't know which exact aspect of the university board controls this, but we may need to take a deeper dive into knowing which aspects of these universities are controlling for the hiring and firing of people based off of social influence. Am I, would you agree? Yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely agreed there. Like, um, I think that um, they need to be a little more cognizant not to just fall for what a mob is telling them. They need to be, they need to use, their, they need to stand ground a little bit more. And, and there's a lot of other cases. So like one of the cases is the case of uh, Brett Weinstein. I don't know if you guys know about this, but he was fired from Evergreen State College in, in Washington uh, because of um, a certain mob who tried to basically cancel him. And then as a result of this, there was a settlement. There was a lawsuit and then a settlement for him. So uh, the, the, the case was basically a day of absence that has been observed for many years in Evergreen State College where the minority students and faculty would stay away from campus to highlight their contributions to the society or to highlight their contributions to the college. Okay, so this was a day of absence. So that particular year in 2016 or 17, what happened was um, this was flipped. So they flipped this and told that Brett needed to leave uh, uh, campus and other white uh, faculty needed to leave uh, campus instead. So instead of them going, they imposed this on someone else that you are white and you might be, you are part of this thing called white supremacy. And since you are a symbol of this, you need to physically leave campus on this day, okay? All right, now you might say, okay, this is a nominal request, but uh, what is this doing? You are actually, um, you're asking someone else, you're infringing on someone else's decisions. You're infringing on someone else's freedom in this case. So Brett actually wrote a letter to the uh, university and to the faculty and the, and the students. So I'm, I'm going to read part of this letter. So it says, uh, there's a huge difference between a group or coalition deciding to voluntarily absent themselves from a shared space in order to highlight their vital and underappreciated roles and the group encouraging another group to go away. The first is a forceful call to consciousness, which of course uh, uh, crippling to the logic of oppression. The second is a show of force and an act of oppression in and of itself. Mm -hmm. So as a result of this, what happened was lots of, uh, there were mobs of people who came and screamed racism at him and eventually got him fired. And during those mobs, these were organized protests where the mobs were basically occupying certain spaces of campus and did some really heinous stuff, such as they role played. So yeah, I, I role played in the sense, uh, so this is kind of like in, uh, if you guys know about the Stanford prison experiments where there was a role play of a prisoner and people who are uh, imprisoning uh, or imprisoned, uh, something like this. What happened was the black students there basically uh, uh, ordered the white students to get them uh, uh, water to get them so pretense uh, enslavement okay of the, the white students basically pretended that they were uh, enslaved and, and now we're we're serving the black students now how like how, let's just think about this do we really want a society where the tables are turned for the oppression that black uh, blacks have endured for 400 years do we really is the way to solve this is to turn the tables on white people and not just white people, but white people who have been here in recent history and nothing to do with, with slavery. P uh, white people who have come here in the uh, past hundred years had nothing to do with it. So now you want to you want to turn it back on people who uh, who somehow have to deal with the sins of their forefathers. Like, do we, is that really the society we want? to have. And this is like how absurd this went. This is like one of the many examples that we can touch on, like how absurd this has become. And I think that gets to the crux of, Brandon, you were asking earlier about what we feel we can't say in academia. Right. And I think that gets to the crux of it is if you, I, I think most people, most rational people who have the ability to look at the facts themselves and look at the incidence of different inequalities in our system or different, you know, whatever it may be, 
I think most rational people can acknowledge that problems exist in certain areas, right? So right. You, the example you were talking about with with black women in in the medical field and you know higher uh, higher mortality rates, things like that, those right. those clearly exist. Those clearly are problems. When it comes to what you're not allowed to say in academia, and this also gets back to the point about what their quote unquote agenda is and the political elements of this, is that I'm not allowed to say that because of that discrepancy is not due to some more vague and all-encompassing systemic racism and is instead because of X, Y, or Z reason, right? And that's just one example that, you know, it's really like anything. He was talking about mm -hmm. climate change earlier. And the problem with this, this narrative, this, this jumping to the, the victimhood or jumping to race or sex or whatever based um, inequities that you then focus on is now if I as an academic, if I push against government involvement in climate change, right? If I advocate for a free market solution, if I advocate for, well, maybe the government should just, you know, be involved in through incentivization, you know, maybe they're not going to be fully developing solar and wind and all this stuff. You know, I think they should instead solve it this way. That's not, the perception of that is not, oh, you have a different solution to this problem than I do. The problem, the, the perception of it is, you are now racist because you disagree with my solution, which is solving racial inequities. And so now the, the discussion breaks down. So you were talking about the businesses. I think when we're, when we're talking about universities as a business, I think I, I agree with what you're saying, right? In, in reality, that's what it's devolved to. Um, but I think we should make a dis distinction too between private and public universities. Private universities, if let's say we were to, to change into a system in the US where it's all entirely private universities, you would likely still have the same cancel culture happening, you would still have echo chambers form, but ultimately you would probably have a, a bifurcation in the academic system to where you would have two opposing echo chambers that then would have these things. And you would at least, at the very least, I'm not saying that would be a good solution. I don't want that to be the case, but at the very least you would have a quote unquote separate but equal kind of solution where if you don't feel comfortable here, you can go elsewhere. With the system that we have right now, the thing that with the education system, like yes, it's devolved to a business, but it really as an institution, the role that it serves is for a platform, a, a, an institution, within which the exchange, the free exchange of ideas can take place, right? right. They're, they're for the, the, the people to communicate and share ideas that differ and then come up with unique and innovative solutions to problems because of that, right? And that's why intellectual diversity is so important. But when we get into this instance where, you know, I'm not allowed to then say, well, hold on, I don't think it's about systemic racism. I think it's about this problem or poor enforcement of this law or poor, you know, whatever, it may be, and I think we should pursue this solution. And that conversation then gets shut down. And the only quote unquote acceptable solution is this is systemic racism or this is systemic inequity and needs to be addressed as such, then that discourse shuts down, right? And it does devolve to a business at that. And I think I think it's interesting that you bring that up because I would hundred percent agree. I forgot the name of the individual. I think I should have just recreate flashcards from my education system. Yeah. Um, but there was a I think it was Harvard or Johns Hopkins was the first woman to attend a you know, or Yale was the first woman to attend a university. I mean, there wasn't and granted this I'm re, this is seriously um, a desperate um, comparison, but the idea then was that. You know, they, they weren't allowed to go and there wasn't necessarily a complete shutdown like there is now. And you said intellectual uh, diversity is extremely important. I agree. You need varying perspectives, vocalizing, adequately vocalizing their issues to resolve the issue. So, for example, if that woman did not vocalize her stance in that she deserves to be educated in a room full of men, that she deserves to be educated in the room with, you know, with her with her peers that you know we wouldn't have the institutions that we have today so maybe the, the you know it's a disservice that you know what has dissolved into just a business per se are inhibiting opportunities for there to be gaps bridged the conversations that i saw as a kid that happened on tv in the realm of this mysterious world called college where these people had on you know tweed blazers and glasses and said something with a fist and yelled and another person spoke and the whole room nodded like that doesn't happen anymore you can't have that level of, I guess, conversation that we 
really pose on here. They don't have that in universities. And I mean, even much so, a lot of people don't even enjoy speaking in college. I think it's weird. I feel like we had an episode on this. Yeah, you had mentioned at one point where people just don't feel comfortable raising their hand answering. Yeah, whether it's like right. That. Right. And, and I was actually reading a book and uh, it was a Taoist book. And they said, uh, those who know don't speak. And those who don't speak, I mean, and those who don't know speak. And I'm wondering if that, I'm trying to see how can I make that saying fit into what we're dealing with today. And I'm, I'm struggling to, Is it, could you, could you? Well, yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, the, everything we've been talking about, right. This mob mentality that, that Mr. Mann has brought up a couple of times, I would argue that those are the people that quote, quote unquote, don't know that are, that are speaking, that mm -hmm. this isn't the majority of people. This isn't, if you look at these polls, if you look at these stats about this stuff, who was it that did the recent one? Uh, Cato Institute, the Cato Institute poll that showed that 62% of Americans self-censor political beliefs. Um, and that included people that were moderately liberal, right? This isn't, the, the majority of people are not speaking. The majority of people are bowing to this very loud minority that doesn't know that is now speaking and that I think is what he was getting into with the, the due process, right? Is that if, if this person has done something that's truly egregious and the system that's put in place finds that to be a fireable offense, then yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they still deserve to be fired then in that case. But when you go by the mob mentality, you don't actually know that it is affecting your bottom dollar. Maybe it feels like it is because people are yelling very loudly, but then if you don't go along with it, well, maybe more people in that 62% now decide, oh, okay, I feel more comfortable going to, to that university than, than some other one. Look, if I, if I could up and switch, maybe this is something that I, I, I shouldn't say too, too uh, carelessly. If I could up and switch universities like that with no jump, no pause in my research, no, no stoppage on my PhD progress and could just pick up where I left off, I would leave in a heartbeat, dude. University of Michigan is so much worse with a lot of this stuff. We had the Words Matter Task Force that the U of M developed around harmful words that we're not allowed to say master plan anymore because it may hark back to slavery. We're not allowed to use- Really? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous, right? And so certain schools are worse than, with this than others, but it is kind of this, this plague that is permeating the academic institution in general. So I think that when you talk about it as a business and protecting your bottom dollar, I think people like me are sitting on the sidelines and saying, screw this, right? I don't want to stay here. I want to go somewhere else. And if I, but I still want to pursue academic pursuits. I still want to participate in this discourse. I still want to be a scientist. I still want to do these things, but I can't speak here. I can't talk here. I can't share my ideas here, but maybe I can at University of Texas, right? right. Or somewhere else. I, I'm picking that one randomly. I don't actually know what it's like there. And frankly, it's, you know, it is something that's bad in general in academia, but yeah, I, I think that's, you know, it's absolutely the people that don't know are speaking and the people that know are scared into submission because of this loud mob mentality. And it used to be people like women. It used to be people like people of color and, you know, people that were not allowed to attend these places and they were you know, quote unquote canceled and, and unable to join these places. And then you lost that diversity of thought and that diversity in general. But now we've kind of come full circle to the point where all those people are allowed in, women are allowed in, people of color are allowed in, but now certain ideas are not allowed in as opposed to people. But I don't know, I'll end my tangent. I'll kick it over whichever one of you want to pick it up. from. Well, here. no, no, I'll, I'll just, I'll just, that last part I think was extremely integral. Um, I think, you know, women, I guess broadly women were let in, uh, people of color were let in, the list of those who are not the majority are now able to let in the ideas are now being chastised and being sent away like those I've earlier described. I wonder what will be that thing. And we've been kind of talking about or hinting at this. Like what will be that thing to bring it back to its, you know, its pendulum or is this the proper pendulum swing? I'm unsure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think this is the proper pendulum swing because this is going a bit too far where, and this is historically, and I'm just speaking history here, is historically every time whenever there has been victimization mentality, that has led to genocide. And if you, let's, let's take the uh, Nazi Germany, for instance, the Nazis and Hitler 
claimed that they were the victims of Jews. So that and that led to Jewish genocide. Um, same thing happened in Stalin's Russia, where Stalin and people who were uh, quote unquote uh, oppressed or the uh, folks who didn't have uh, a lot of income or couldn't make it up in society claim that, okay, the rich are stealing from us. Okay. So, and, and so every time there's a victim mentality, this leads to a genocide. This leads to really bad stuff. Like, like, so this is why I think, and I mean, one of the things that I want to uh, touch on is how this uh, panned out in the cultural revolution in China and everyone who's listening should really look into the history of the cultural revolution is, and it's really, um, when you read the history and then you look at what's going on in America right now, you'd be like, wow, okay, how did this get to be like this? So the Cultural Revolution was basically when uh, Mao, so this Mao Zedong, who was the chairman of uh, China uh, in the 60s, wanted, didn't see that uh, Marxism was, uh, or communism was taking a big uh, rise in China. And why was that? Because it's a failed system, of course. But what he thought was that this is because of the culture. So this of China that prevented it. So in order to really impose Marxism and communism, he needed to get rid of the culture itself of China. And uh, the way that he did this was based on a couple of principles. I think there was four principles. One was getting rid of old traditions, old religions, old ideas and old uh, something else. So old habits, uh, things like that. So, and what did this mean? What he did was essentially rounded a mob, okay, known as the Red Guard. This was a mob of people and the culture of China was destroyed. Museums were ransacked, okay? Uh, statues were taken down. You see the same thing happening right now in the US. Um, buildings and streets are being renamed. Cultural sites were renamed. Religion was gotten rid of because religion was plaguing the minds of individuals there. Um, and uh, and who were these red guards? So these were basically mobs. Okay. So the mobs were you would be. And when I first heard this, I was shocked that the mob was basically primary school and middle school children. Okay, who were rounded up and sent to their schools to uh, attack their uh, their teachers. So these were primary and middle school children who went to schools and basically engaged in in beating of their teachers and rounding them up and and basically brainwashing their teachers and telling them to teach a certain kind of ideology. You're seeing the same thing in academia right now that these are these are kids in universities who are going and really um, and taking down these systems of oppression. Um, and, and again, the same thing you're, and these kids, uh, Mao basically told them that the uh, intellectual system was, it was an anti-intellectual system and that merit was nothing and that merit didn't count. And you were seeing the same thing right now in, in the US. The, recently, there's a thing of math is racist and, uh, uh, and a bunch of other things. We can, we can uh, touch on them. Uh, but the surprising thing is how did all these kids engage in this mob behavior so uh, a lot of them are alive right now they're this was happened in the 60s and they're alive right now and when they're interviewed they, they first of all they're very ashamed but they also said that this was the social norm back then that mob behavior like this was everyone else was doing it that's why i did it and you see the same thing and i fear that I, we're seeing the same thing right now this has is so prevalent this kind of mentality of uh of mob mentality is so prevalent in the u.s universities that uh, i feel like a lot of these individuals are not ill-hearted they're not bad people they're very good people but they have been brainwashed into the system seeing everyone else do it and no one is speaking up so that's why they're also like they're like deep in in the system itself and this is what i fear is that we like the culture wars in the US is becoming like the cultural revolution of China. And it's going to turn really bad if this is not fixed. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that anyone who hasn't already needs to read 1984. Uh, 1984, the kids in that book were the spies. They were the ones that would report their parents, they would report their, their elders for, you know, they would report them to the quote unquote thought police. Um, 
So yeah, this is something that is incredibly pertinent. It's something we've seen historically and something that is getting worse and worse, it seems right now. And hopefully, Brandon, like you were talking about, that pendulum swings back. But, you know, the best we can do is start conversations about it and not cancel people and hope that things change as we open up the floor to these discussions. Uh, we could talk about this for hours, but we are cutting it close. So we're going to cut it now. But yeah, just to wrap things out, uh, Mr. Man, thanks again for, for joining us for this conversation. But before we leave, I just wanted to give you another minute or two to say what needs saying, you know, whatever you feel like needs to be said. If there's something we've touched on that you want to emphasize or something that we haven't touched on that you want to bring up briefly for people to be aware of, um, and then we'll cut it there and go from there. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, thanks for having me on this platform. And what I encourage people to do is engage in thoughts. Your thoughts are there, your speech is there. We have a First Amendment where your speech is protected and don't let that just go loose and don't let others cancel you or, or engage in mob behavior. Uh, I mean, honestly, get off social media. Don't post a lot of stuff on social media that will get your you fired from your job or get you canceled. But uh, who am I to say this? But yeah, I mean, again, defend yourself, defend free speech. That is really important. And um, engage in conversation with people. Engaging in conversation is the best way to battle out ideas and let the best ideas prevail, not by canceling. Canceling doesn't help at all. Shutting down ideas, so shutting down speech doesn't help at all because people at the end of the day have a brain and they can think. So thoughts cannot be canceled at the end of the day. So best thing is battle out your ideas talk with uh, with each other and and you'll learn a lot by engaging in, with other people you'll learn about the other viewpoint you'll learn about how other people think and hopefully both of you can come to a point of agreement if not fully but at least at some middle ground yeah 100 percent. and if you want to engage with these conversations with us here on say what needs saying Woo! be sure to find us on social media we're on facebook and instagram at say what needs saying Twitter at Say What Needs, YouTube, we're trying to get that started. So find us on YouTube, smash the like button, hit the subscribe button and ring the bell so that you can know anytime that we go live, anytime we post an episode and you can stay in the loop. Um, Mr. Man is a longtime listener of the podcast. And so we're trying to bring people on that aren't just the experts of whatever we're talking about, that aren't just the, you know, the, the political people, the religious people, the, the people that have these specific expertises. I mean, he, he is in academia, but he's one of our listeners. And so if you have something that you want to say that needs saying, join us on Say What Needs Saying. Join us, send us an email at saywhatneedsayingpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what your concerns are. What is it that you're not allowed to say without being canceled? What is it that you have? What viewpoints do you have? What belief systems do you have? What thoughts do you have that you don't feel comfortable saying? We're not going to cancel you here. We can't make promises about your job, but we'll keep anonymity. And that's why we don't have video right now for Mr. Man. We kept him anonymous and we'll do the same for you and anyone else who requests it. We are here for the open discussion of these ideas, regardless of how societally condemnable they seem to have become, because that's the only way that we can have these conversations. That's the only way that we can grow as a society is if we keep having the conversations. So, Mr. Man, thank you again for joining us. This was a great conversation. Join us next time for more conversations like this.